Well, good evening, everybody. It is a joy to see you. Thank you so much for the kind welcome. Uh, my family and I have had the privilege of hanging out this week with your elders, uh, those that go to this church, and it has just been an absolute joy of ours uh, to see this area. Over the last several years, we do a counseling conference. I'm part of a counseling conference on the east side of the state over in Mobridge in the northeast side. And it's good to be on this side. It's been an enjoyable time, perfect time of year, uh, just been fun. So thank you so much for your kindness and always good to spend time with Kyle, of course, and then the other elders to get to meet them and, and to enjoy their hospitality. It's been nothing less than our joy. In your note packet, uh, you'll see several notes. We're going to start tonight with Why Biblical Counseling? You'll hear more about my background and my story later, so we're not going to spend a long time on that uh, here in the introduction. Kyle said a few things, and I think tomorrow we're going to do a Q&A where I, th I think that's one or a couple of the things in the past we're going to talk through there. Uh, so we're going to jump in uh, to this particular material. I think that you will be blessed by it and challenged by it uh, as you and as we think about biblical counseling. Uh, again, we'll talk about this more tomorrow, but I would say in my life, I did not choose biblical counseling. Biblical counseling chose me. God in his kindness uh, called me into this special work. And this hour, we're really just going to be talking about what it is. Why should we be concerned? Why would you actually come to a biblical counseling conference on a busy weekend, on a gorgeous weekend in the spring? Uh, what does it how does it apply to you as an individual? How does it apply to your church? How does it apply to other ministries that you're part of? How about your families? Right? I think all of those questions, a lot of those questions will be answered in this hour, in this particular time together. <clears throat> so why biblical counseling? First, and you'll see there in your notes, let's define what we're talking about. Right? The simplest definition is to seek to help another individual understand how to honor and glorify God in a particular situation through God's word, right? As you know, all people go through pressure-filled circumstances. It's just a part of life. If you aren't in one today, be, rejoice, be happy, because you know that over the next hill, uh, that's going to happen, right? And I'm from Kentucky, where there's a rolling hill, hill after hill after I'm somewhat like around here. And what do you know, if you're on the top of one hill, you know you're going to go down and then you're going to have to go back to the top of the next hill. And that happens over and over and over and over. We call that home, right? So here it would be very similar. That's the way it is with pressured circumstances, right? If you're not in one today, we rejoice, but you know we're going to be in one soon enough. And when people go through those circumstances, the question is, how do we understand the circumstance? How do I understand the person? So individually, that would be, how do I understand my own heart and mind and my desires and how I'm responding? How do I understand this person who's talking to me? So, right, so there's these three big elements that we're trying to put together. We're trying to understand the situation understand the people who are going through the situation and understand the situation and the people with respect to God, right? And when we can put those three things together, that's what we call biblical counseling. It's not too difficult. I try not to tell people that because uh, I don't want to lose all my jobs, but it's not horribly difficult to understand. 
right? It's just a matter of, of understanding it and getting the concept and then beginning to live it out, right? Beginning to understand it in its everyday look. Now, in the Bible, I would say biblical counseling uh, helps those both who sin and those who suffer. And it includes both of what you say and what you do. So there's two concepts here in this bullet point. We're talking about individuals, and I'm going to help you understand why we'll say this in just one second. But we're talking about people who sin and people who suffer. Those are the people going through tough circumstances. So as we talk to those people, and as we minister to those people, it's going to Biblical counseling will include what I say, but it's also going to include what I do, right? And again, I I hope you'll see in just a few moments how all this ties together. Let's look at two specific biblical words. The first one is nutheteo. Now, you don't need to know that word outside of the fact that it's just a Bible word, and it is uh, in the Bible, it's translated, you'll see it there in your notes, in the New King James, in these translations, to warn and to admonish, right? So it means to admonish or to warn. It's primarily corrective and verbal, and it uses the scripture. So when we talk about nutheteo, typically you have someone who needs direction. It could be that they're in sin, and so you're trying to help them work through the sin. could mean that they just have some decisions they need to make, and they need very specific Bible instruction. So when the Bible says that we warn or admonish, we're taking the Bible, taking the text of the scriptures and saying, listen, this is what the Bible says. This is how it applies to your situation, right? So it comes with authority. When we share from the word, right? It's not our authority. We'll talk about that more this next hour. But we come with God's authority and we're helping them understand this is what God would have you to do. This is what he would have you to understand. So we warn, we admonish. A lot of times it's corrective. Nutheteo is always used in a verbal sense. But that word is really the the smaller of the two primary words in the Bible for biblical counseling. And possibly you've heard this word nutheteo because in 1970, Jay Adams, he wrote a book And in that book, he called biblical counseling, he called it nuthetic counseling. He used that term so that it would be differentiated from the other various uh, methods of Christian Christian counseling of that particular day. So, nutheteo, it means to admonish or warn. Now, the word I love the most is this word, parakaleo. It means to encourage or to console, to be an encouragement. It's the more common word in the New Testament, right? It is the word that's often associated with the Holy Spirit as well. You probably recognize it in that sense. It could be verbal, but it certainly does not have to be verbal. There's a lot of ways to come beside someone and offer encouragement outside of just simply using your words. And so if you do a word study on Perikaleo, you'll see those various means of being an encouragement. So those are our two primary words. So if you put those together, we would say this. Biblical counseling focuses on two issues related to man and related to his problems. One is on sin because sometimes it is necessary to admonish. Sometimes it is necessary to warn. Thankfully, that's the minimal part of helping people. 
I spend a lot of time uh, with individuals. Sometimes it's by phone, sometimes over Zoom. Most of the time it's in a coffee shop or somewhere informal or at the church at an office or something like that. As I do that counseling, it would be a major burden if every day I went in to talk to people and the only thing I'm looking for is a sin and somehow I eradicate it like you would bugs out of a house. Right? That would be miserable. But where there is sin, sometimes it's necessary to talk about it. And that's just part of biblical counseling because it's part of walking with someone in Christ. The bigger part is the parakaleo. It's the encouraging, right? On suffering, because it is necessary to encourage and console and to be an encouragement. And so we walk with people and we encourage those people. It could be through grief. It could be any number of issues, relationship issues, vocation issues, right? All the various ways that we live life inside the family. Lots of times we need to be encouraged by another brother or sister in Christ. Now, just to help us get it all put together here, here are key synonyms, right? When you hear me say biblical counseling, this is what I want you thinking about. One is the word conversational ministry. We're going to sit down and talk with someone, and as we have that conversation, ministry is going to happen. You could say, in conversational ministry, it's biblical fellowship. It's just having a conversation about what we hold uh, dearest together, and that is Christ. And as we talk about Christ, and as Christ through the word, the implications of that, how it applies to the person and the situation, you're doing conversational ministry. Another synonym for it would be personal ministry. That's the one I prefer. Some people would call it discipleship, right? This weekend, you say it's a biblical counseling conference. In all reality, it's a discipleship conference. We're talking about how do we walk with another person through the scriptures to help them. Now, the New Testament, it calls it one anothering, right? There are over 50 times that one another, one another commands are used in the New Testament, some 31 or so. So you could call it one anothering mentoring or spiritual friendship or just simply friendship, right? It's what brothers do with brothers. It's what sisters do with sisters. And you say, why are you helping us with all these synonyms? Because I want to make biblical counseling in your mind as large as it is, but yet as simple as it is. As large, biblical counseling is life in the church, right? You're not a church with a biblical counseling ministry, you need to be a church of biblical counselors, right? It's not an individual ministry hat that I wear. It's part of life. It's part of life groups. It's part of Sunday morning. If we're working, if somebody's working in the nursery with another individual, they're having conversations. What do we want those conversations to be? We want those to be solid biblical conversational ministry where people are taking the words of Christ and life with Christ and they're thinking about individuals and they're thinking about circumstances and they're pulling those together in a way that honors the Lord. So in that sense, biblical counseling is all over the church. It's everything that we do. It's not one thing. It's not a ministry, but it is our ministry. 
because biblical fellowship, one-anothering, discipleship, mentoring, friendship, all of that can be included in these two terms uh, when we talk about encouraging and admonishing. So that's the introduction, just to give you a sense of biblical counseling is very broad. So our question is this, so why counsel? Now, I prefer staying in one text, but in this hour, we're going to spend, I'm going to give you just a little bit out of six different, five different texts, six different reasons why we do this kind of ministry. Here's the first one. Because all Christians are commanded to help each other. In Galatians 6, one of my favorite passages in the Bible to help us think through this issue. In Galatians 6, we realize in chapter 5, verses 13 through 26, right before you get to 6.1, the broader context is that you have been given liberty, you've been given freedom, you do not have to earn your salvation, you do not have to do anything to keep yourself saved. God is the originator, God is the keeper, right? God is the one who helps preserve you. So as the one who has been saved, God has given you freedom. You don't have to use any of your energy. I prefer to use a water bottle when I talk about this. If this is all the energy we have in our day today, not one ounce of this energy, not one drop of this water has to be used to maintain or to keep or to earn my salvation. Instead, what? In 5.13, he says, you've been given this liberty, only do not use it as an occasion for the flesh, but by love serve each other, right? God gives us this much energy every day so that we can go about serving. And then the other command, he says, and he gives us this energy to walk in the spirit. So when we're walking in the spirit and when we're serving each other in love, it provides the opportunity to do chapter six. Look at verse one, it says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, and here's the command, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So it says when someone is caught, right? It would be like an animal in a trap. When someone's caught, the responsibility brothers and sisters have in Christ is to come help restore that person. A good definition for restore is to bring them back to a place of usefulness. So when someone's caught, it says someone who is spiritual. Who's a spiritual person? It's the person who by love is serving and is using their energy to walk in the spirit. It's not a perfect person. As you'll see in a minute, it's not a specially trained person, although it can be. It's all people. This is addressed to brothers, to brethren. It's a command for every Christian. And the command is when people are in sin, it's our joy, it describes here, in gentleness or in meekness to come beside that person and help restore them, to help them work their way out of that particular sin and being caught and to be able to live for the glory of God. So where there's sin, restore. Look at the second thing. And where there is suffering, help carry. Look at verse two. Bear one another's burdens 
and so fulfill the law of Christ. For anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. So in verse 2, it says that we are to bear each other's burdens. Now, what does it mean? What we like at Sunrise, where I pastor, our church, we like to call this shoulder-to-shoulder ministry, right? When the, the word for burden here is a boulder, it's bigger than what one person can carry on their own. And when you have that kind of burden, what does the Bible say? It says that other brothers and sisters in Christ come beside you, and as they come beside you, they help you bear that particular burden. They're going to help you and walk with you as long as you have that burden. But as that thing gets down to where it's more of what we would call a backpack size, that's where verse 5 comes in. It says, you bear your own load. Right, So when it gets down to backpack size, that's what all of us have to bear. Some days that looks like around here, this week it's looked like hell a few times. Right, So that's just part of a day. It's part of your backpack. It are, in Missouri, it's going to get hot in just a few days. It's going to be humid. At times, it'll be very miserable. That's in everybody's backpack. right? It's just part of the load of a normal day. Sin, trying to minimize the flesh, right? walking with others, all of that's in our backpack. We each carry that every day. And while we do, we look for those people who have burdens that are overbearing. And when they have that burden, we come beside them and help. Now, remember, who are we talking to? This text is to every Christian. And it's talking about what do we do with the spiritual energy that we have every day. We, by love, serve, we walk in the Spirit. It says that when you love people in service, in chapter 5, it says you fulfill the royal, you fulfill the law. Exactly what chapter 6 is saying as well. When we do this ministry of restoring sinners and bearing the burdens of sufferers, we are doing Biblical, biblical counseling, and it is commanded. So because all Christians are commanded, that's the reason we want to both understand and learn and live and do biblical counseling. Here's the second reason. Because all Christians are capable to help each other. Again, I said we're going to look at a few texts. We're not going to look at them very deeply in one hour. But in Romans 15, notice what it says in verse 14. Recall that in chapter 12, Romans, the book of Romans transitions to where we're talking about now. This is the implication of the truths in chapters 1 through 11, right? So at 12.1, the, the book shifts, and now he's helping us to apply it. It's essentially you have been redeemed, you've been saved, And from chapter 12 to 16, it essentially helps us know how we serve as someone who is now a born-again person, as someone who's been redeemed. Notice how he summarizes it here in chapter 15 and verse 14. He says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, 
that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Now again, we're just looking at these briefly this evening, but let me suggest there are three key elements you want to see in this verse. First, characterologically, you are capable to help other people. That's what he says when he says you are full of goodness. You've been redeemed. You've been taken from someone borrowing from Ephesians who is dead in trespasses and sins, and now you are alive in Jesus Christ. You used to be a slave to your flesh. You were a slave to your nature, to your uh, to your sinful disposition, and now you are in Christ, and now you're a slave to righteousness. Now you can give your instruments and use them as members of righteousness. Right, So when we look at Romans, he says you are full of goodness. Essentially, he's saying characterologically, inside of you, not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is, because of who Christ is and because the fact that he now lives in you and you have the ministry of the Spirit in chapter 8, because of everything that's taken place, you are, you have the capacity to help other people. What about substantively? You are capable. Notice it says, you are filled with all knowledge. That kind of knowledge is that you have the capacity now to take the word of God and apply it to daily living. Right? You have a new capacity. When you get saved, when the Spirit indwells you, the Spirit gives you the ability to take truth and to apply that truth. The Spirit helps you want to know more truth, to accept it as truth, and then He gives you the capacity to make those applications as you are faithful to what you know. So He says you are, characterologically, you're full of goodness. At the level of your content, you have what it takes. Because of the Spirit, you have the capacity to apply the Word of God to circumstances. And the third thing, he says, functionally, you are capable. You have a skill. He says you are able also to, the word admonish here is our nuthateo word. right? You're able to counsel one another. So when, when in Romans, after Paul has worked through this incredible theology of chapters 1 through 11, he gets to 12 and he says, so now this is the way you're going to live and as we work through those texts, he gets to this spot in 15, right before he concludes the book, and he says, listen, you have the character because of Christ, you have the capacity because of the Spirit, and you have the skill because of God's work in you to be able to help each other. And so because all Christians are capable to help each other, that's a reason that we do biblical counseling. Let me give you a third reason. Because all Christians are vulnerable to the deception of sin. In Hebrews chapter 3, we get a very sobering text. When it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God, 
But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You say, Pastor Kevin, why is it important for us to engage in this process of conversational ministry, of one anothering, of discipleship, of walking as a spiritual friend? Why is that important? Because we're vulnerable to the deception of sin. Sin is deceitful. At its very heart, it's deceitful. From Genesis 3 on, we see that. He says here, beware lest there be an evil heart of unbelief. He says, beware what? Lest any of you be hardened. Every one of us are eminently entrappable. We are an unwise person to believe that somehow, as a believer, we're immune to the capacity of our own flesh, to the deception of sin. Right? I think if we even look at the, what we read in Galatians a minute ago, he says, considering yourself, lest you're also tempted. Friend, there isn't anybody I talk to who comes to me and they say, this is my sin. And I hear about that sin that I don't immediately try to intentionally think in my mind. The sin I just heard about, the struggle that this person is in, that is in me as well. There's nothing that this, there's nothing any sinner's going to do that I'm not capable of. I have to always have that on my mind. As followers of Christ, we are most unwise. When we look at someone else and say, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not like that person. I had a friend of mine one time, he said it was a pastor who had sinned, and a friend and I were walking down a sidewalk, and he said, oh, did you hear about that pastor? Of course, now I'm not interested at all in gossip, so I'm trying to get this conversation to end. I said, yeah, I heard about him. I kept walking, and his statement was just kind of gruff out of the side of his mouth, well, you know, I don't know why anybody would be so stupid to do that. And this pastor had committed a very ungodly sin. And so, again, wanting the conversation to end, and it did very quickly, I said to him, well, if you want to know how he could be so stupid, when we get inside, just go in the restroom and look in the mirror. Because it's in you too. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. But what an unwise place for my friend to be, to think that somehow this pastor had sinned in a way that he wasn't capable of sinning. There's a warning here for a reason. So he said, beware. Because any one of us could sin. Notice verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it's called today right we need those spiritual conversations we need biblical fellowship remember what's what are we saying all of those things we're calling them biblical counseling biblical counseling's the front side the formal side sometimes informal side but it's just part of conversational personal ministry that we have with each other we need those conversations. I need those conversations. My children need those conversations. That's why it's essential that in the home, in the church, in all of those places, we're talking about Christ. 
right? Heaven forbid that we would ever be in a church or ever be in a context where our mention of Christ makes people look at us like, well, that's weird that you'd mention him, right? Because what? We need Christ. We have to exhort one another daily. We have to be talking about the scriptures, talking about how they apply. What were you hoping? How have you, how, how have you responded to this thing that's happened, right? All of those part of everyday conversation. And we're commanded to give and to receive it in this text, right? It's something that we all need to be part of while there's opportunity because we don't want to be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. How about number four? Because all Christians are responsible to practice discernment. All Christians are responsible to practice discernment. Let's look at First Thess together. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to look at 12 through 15 here. It says, and we urge you, brethren. Again, this is the part of the book where he's making application. It says, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Let me mention a couple of key things here to notice. Here's the first one. Watch your spiritual leaders. Verses 12 and 13 make that very apparent. Notice what it says. We urge you, brethren, what? To recognize those. Recognize who? The elders. Those that are laboring among you. Those that are over you in the Lord. And those that are admonishing you. Taking God's word and saying, listen, these are the parameters. You need to live inside these parameters. They're warning. So we want to pay attention to our spiritual leaders. Now, of course, verse 13, one of the benefits is to esteem them highly for their work's sake. But that's not the only reason you're paying attention is to simply give them high esteem. Appropriate, yes, but not the only reason. That is because what you learn, you need to learn what you see, right? You're observant, you learn it, and then you practice it, what? With each other. What you see happening at the elder level, that's instructive then for the way that we engage other people in the body of Christ. Notice how it transitions in verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren... So we were exhorted to watch those that are over us in the Lord, to watch how they admonish. Now he exhorts us, and he says specifically, you need to do these things. The first one, he says, warn those who are unruly. The word warn, what is that? That's our word, nuthateo. Now recall, in verse 12, the last thing it says is, 
and they admonish you. You get to verse 14, and what does he say? You need to admonish each other. My contention is one of the reasons, and if you're a pastor here or an elder, you need to be very pay very close attention. One of the reasons churches and Christians are very poor at taking the scriptures and applying them to daily living in terms of admonishment, warning, some in strong encouragement is because pastors are very poor at doing it. So we can't just stand up and say, well, it's our church members. They need to do this. Sometimes they're not doing it well because we're not doing it well. They're supposed to observe us, handle the scriptures well, apply them to life, and then they are to do that with what? Warn the unruly. Now, who's an unruly person? An unruly person is someone who knows what to do, but they're choosing not to do it. They're choosing to walk outside of God's boundaries. He says, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to warn that person. We need to admonish that person. There is a problem in the church that many Christians have accepted the world's view of, well, you just need to be a sounding board. You need to be somebody somebody can just talk to. No, we don't need to just simply listen. When someone says, I am choosing sin, what do we need to do? We need to admonish as we've been admonished. We need to encourage from the scriptures. Oh, brother, I know that you must be hurting, but you can't choose that. Why? Because that, this is what the Bible says. That's warning the unruly. That's why I'm saying in this text, we all have to practice discernment. Just like an elder practices discernment, as individuals in the church, we practice discernment as well so that we understand when someone's unruly, we want to warn that person. But we don't just do one thing, right? We don't warn every person. No, there's other categories here. Look at the next one. It says to comfort the faint-hearted. The word comfort here is our word for encourage. Who is a faint-hearted person? Let me define it this way. It's the one who may know what to do, but is fearful or isn't sure how to do it. Think about it. Who are faint-hearted people in our families? Well, little ones. How many times have you, if you're like me, you put the kids on the side of the pool nine years ago, and you're in a pool, and they're on the side of the pool, and you're saying, jump to dad. Yeah, you can jump, and the child's not sure what to do. Same thing with learning to ride a bicycle and so many other chores that we teach children in the home and grandchildren. We're teaching them those things, and they're not quite sure what to do. They know they have fingers. They're not sure how they work, right? They're not sure what to do and in what order, and so we're coaching them along. And so that coaching process, that would be part of encouraging the faint-hearted. It's the person who's fearful and you're saying, listen, God is there for you and so are your brothers and sisters. You can have the courage in Christ to do this, right? It's encouraging that person who's fearful. It's comforting the faint-hearted. So we're not just admonishing everyone. Discernment says when you hear someone's story, sometimes you realize this person needs encouragement. This person needs to do what God has called them to do in this situation, 
but they need a little bit of encouragement to get there. Look at the third group. It's help the weak. Uphold the weak. There are some individuals going through circumstances in life where uphold here is to grab onto, where if you don't grab them, their faith seemingly is going to fall. Right? It's the person who may know what to do, but they seemingly cannot do it. Now, we know in Christ, we can do everything God asks us to do. But there are circumstances in life where in a moment, you can feel like, I am helpless. This is impossible. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure where to go. Grief, among other instances, would be that way. And you are upholding them. You are grasping onto them so that they do not falter in their faith, right? We have a Hebrews 3 concern as we engage this particular person. So we're going to admonish the one who knows what to do is not willing to do it. We're going to comfort, encourage the one who knows what to do and is struggling getting it done. We're going to uphold or help the one who is, may know what to do but seemingly can't do it. It's the weak person. And in the process, what? We're going to be patient with all of those people. That's why I'm saying it takes discernment. <clears throat> because you've got to discern. As you talk with someone, is this person weak? Is this person faint-hearted? Is this person unruly? Lots of Christians go to unruly first. I'm going to suggest that probably needs to be flipped. Right, Because be patient with all. If you think they may be unruly, what? Give them a little time to find out. Right, Go with the comfort. Maybe uphold. But there will be for sure in times with discipline and other things where we have to admonish the unruly. And then protect that atmosphere to encourage change. That's what you see in verse 15. We don't want people rendering evil for evil, but pursue what's good for yourself and for everyone. So the fourth reason, because all Christians are responsible to practice discernment. Let's look at then verse number five, and that's because all Christians are stewards of the grace of God. Again, we're just doing a small cursory study in each of these texts. We'll have time later to work through some more lengthy passages. But in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7, what we learn here is that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will be partaker of the consolation. So three things just to notice here. That is, those of us who are in Christ... We receive grace in Christ, right? God is the one who comforts us through the scriptures, 
through the Spirit, using the Scriptures as other people around us doing the very things we're talking about. We receive God's comfort through people as the Spirit and the Word all work in us. Right, All of those things are working together and God provides us comfort, provides us grace. And as we receive grace, what? We become conduits of that grace to other people. We're not meant to be a sponge of grace. Instead, we're meant to receive it and immediately give it, right? It is something that flows through us. We're to share God's grace with others. So we're stewards of the grace of God. Now, there's other texts we could talk about here, especially 1 Peter chapter 4, but just be aware that we're stewards of the grace of God. Okay, now number six. Because all Christians are counseling anyway. Everybody counsels. You can't get away with not counseling. Go ahead and drive 35 down Highway 16, and you will counsel. (laughs) And guess what? You will be counseled. It will go both ways. There are going to be some people pass you and they're just going to look strangely. There are going to be other people pass you and they're going to tell you, counsel. <laughs> it's part of life. It happens everywhere we go. People are observing you, you're counseling. As you engage others, your conversation, your speaking, it counsels. That give and take Because the word counseling biblically is so broad, we're all counseling. So why not be intentionally good at it? Right? Why not actually take a step forward in doing something that blesses God and blesses people? Notice the way I have it written here. So why not be intentionally God-glorifying, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, word-focused, others-helping, goal-oriented, and gospel-saturated in your counsel? I would say yes, we all as Christians should want to sign up to say yes, may that be the case in my life. So the question is, why do we counsel? I've given you six reasons. Because all Christians are commanded to help each other. All Christians are capable to help each other. All Christians are vulnerable to the deception of sin. All Christians are responsible to practice discernment. All Christians are stewards of the grace of God in Christ through the gospel and because all Christians are doing it anyways. So some implications. Let me give you a few. First, as a follower of Christ, we have the responsibility and privilege to use the opportunities God gives us for his glory and others' good. It's not simply a responsibility, although it is. It is a great privilege to walk with people. It's a great privilege to help them be pointed toward Christ and toward God-glorifying solutions. Counseling is as important and needful as preaching, teaching, and prayer. Now, some of you are going to say, oh, boy, I'm not sure about that one. Well, if you understand that when we say counseling, we're talking about fellowship, one anothering. We're talking about all of the things that make up a normal biblical discipleship. 
Preaching is a form of discipleship just like counseling. Praying with people, uh, yes, it's one of the one another's. It's just part of that one another counseling ministry. Counseling is essential. Intentionally helping others is not a matter of spiritual gifting. It's a command. I sat with a table with the pastor one time. He had heard me preach. We, I went through Galatians 6, 1 through 5 with his congregation. I talked about every Christian's responsible for this. We go to lunch, and he's sitting there at lunch with another missionary, and he and the missionary are having a conversation. I'm just kind of listening. And they say, boy, aren't you glad that Dr. Carson has the spiritual gift of And I said to myself, I don't think you listened to anything I just talked about. (laughs) This is not an issue of gifting. It's our call. Every one of us are required to do this. Not because you're a counselor, because you're a Christian. Because you're in Christ. And in Christ people help in Christ people. And they help people who are not in Christ, what? Become in Christ people. So we can talk and counsel anybody. So it's intentional. Although much help is provided through the pulpit ministry of the church, certainly not all help is provided through public ministry. Some conversations, some things a pastor will not address from a pulpit, most pastors. They're going to have questions. You know where a lot of counseling happens? In nurseries. You have two ladies sitting there talking with each other. Oh, this is what my grandson said. Another lady says, oh, have you thought about this? So he says, boy, I was in our life groups. Man, I'm so angry at my husband. Another lady walks beside her and says, oh, let me, let's think through that. Right, and that's just two examples of many. Counseling complements the rest of the local church ministry. Right, it's just some, it's not, I've already mentioned this, it's not a ministry of the church. Essentially, it is the one another capacity of the church. Right, it's not a specific ministry, it is. So people do not need a specialist to help them. They need a faithful friend to provide discernment in their walk with Christ. I had a friend just this week, uh, a spouse died. And the friend contacted me and said, well, they say I need to go see a professional. And I said, no, you need a friend in your church who will walk with you. You don't need a professional. As y'all walk together, you're going to find that you encourage that person and that person will encourage you. It'll be good for both of you. Hey, if you preach or teach, let me just mention this to those of you that are pastors and teachers. This will impact your preaching and teaching in positive ways. Let me give you a list of things that I get to teach preaching. You may hear me this weekend and say, I'm not sure why he does, but I do get to teach preaching, and these are some key things that will benefit you. Let me just run through them quickly. First, it will help you analyze the needs of those to whom you speak. The more people you talk to, the more you're going to realize the kinds of problems they have. God forbid someone preach regularly and not talk regularly, not hear where people are living, right? Not hear what's going on in their life. You'll be more apt to study with practical application in mind. We're going to talk more about that later. You'll make a clear presentation of the meaning of the text, central 
accompanied with practical application of truth, right? I know a lot of guys who say, well, I just give the truth and I'll let the Holy Spirit apply it. I appreciate, if you're one of those people, I appreciate your uh, concern for sharing truth. But the Holy Spirit has helpers called the teacher and pastor. And you are the one that's helping people think through, how can I apply this? Right, That's your role, along with the Spirit. Your messages and lessons will involve what to do and how to do it. Right? It's not just simply what, but people need to know. Right? We're thinking about that levels of discernment. You'll preach and teach with a burning conviction that God's word is indeed sufficient to address life lived in a sin-cursed world. And for that, we're grateful. You'll help people know how to change. And your counseling will encourage you to be clear and specific in your presentation of truth. When, after you've talked to two or three or four or five people, and they're asking the same questions that you've talked about in church. You're like, I've just done a whole series on this. And they're asking the same question. How did they miss it? Don't assume they missed it. Look in the mirror and say, how did I muddy this up so bad that they couldn't catch it? Right? I, I love one friend. He says, uh, don't communicate so that people understand. Communicate so they can't misunderstand. Right? It's on us to be clear and concise. Okay, last two things, and we're going to pray and let you have a break. You and others around you will become comfortable with both the need for change and seeking help to change. I think that's such a wonderful place to be in when you know that you can pick up the phone and ask anybody in your church or ask most of the folks in your church, hey, I need some help here and people will come along with you. People will be helped for God's glory if you will embrace these six reasons, why it's important for you and everybody in your church to do biblical counseling, one another, biblical fellowship, discipleship, right? All those things, personal ministry, conversational ministry, spiritual friendship, lots of words to talk about the same thing. Some of it looks formal, most of it's informal. You may be throwing hay bales and doing biblical counseling, right? You may be doing lots of things, as we all have. Lord, we love you. We pray that you'd give us wisdom and a passion to do these very commands that you've given us. For the glory of God and for the good of your people, in Jesus' name, amen.